Good morning. There's been kind of a running joke at, with church staff. This is way too short. That um, years ago I uh, did a Bible study at staff, and um, because I was asked to, and it involved uh, a study of Genesis and my thoughts about the the uh, primate birth canal. And so I've been threatening for years to give that sermon, <laughs> which uh, you're not going to hear this morning. So <laughs> Judy said the <laughs> Judy said the the PowerPoints were horrifying. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, my dad once asked me to. Uh, pick weeds in our garden. Now, you could call it a garden. It was really a, a backyard. And it, it wasn't anything fancy, but he had put some flowers out, and he was proud of that effort, but there were a lot of weeds, and so he asked me, I think I was about 10 or 12, he asked me to go out and weed for the day. And uh, I had my dog, Sam, who was with me. Now, Sam was a good dog, and everyone said that he just probably had a boy that was a bad influence. But Sam uh, um, noticed while we were, began our weeding that there were some gophers in the yard. And Sam had a propensity to uh, love to chase gophers, so he started digging, um, essentially looking for gophers, and pretty soon I it looked like pretty good fun to me, so I joined him. And we began to uh, dig for, for gophers. Now, by the time my father returned from work, um, we had done 20 or 30 feet of trench all around the backyard in completely random directions. The gophers actually uh, finally ran out of the hole and escaped into the neighbor's yard. But my dad came home and I remember him looking at the backyard in kind of exasperation, and he, and he just said, um, we, we've got to figure out a way that the flowers have better odds than the weeds. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to talk about John 15, if I could have the first slide. Um, where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. And the reason I told that story is that I think I've been getting John 15 wrong all these years. There was this sense that, um, well, it was about something different than what I thought it was. Um, when we talk about abiding or remaining in his love, well, let's uh, have the next slide and we'll go ahead and read our passage. I'm going to have to turn because there's actually no way I could read that over there. I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Next slide. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you are my friends, if you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because my servant does not know what his, master, his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. And skipping down to uh, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, and he will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it, it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, and he lives with you and, you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I was thinking of our Ukrainians um, when I thought of that. Next slide. I do, uh, as many of you know, I teach, and uh, I just can't talk without slides. So there's actually no uh, purpose for these slides, but they help me to speak. <laughs> So I have a picture of a vine there, and I've labeled it as the vine. Jesus describes himself as the vine. Now basically, uh, the vine, or the vineyard, was a symbol for Israel. Uh, it's traditionally been a symbol for Israel, and um, here Jesus takes that title upon himself. Now, the vine is life itself. Those roots penetrate deeply into the soil. They bring up water and nutrients. They do this in ways that we can barely understand um, to provide uh, nutrients for the vine, which are traveling through the branches and into the fruit. So Jesus describes himself as that vine. The next slide is the branch. That's us. We get to be the branches. And one thing I've noticed about branches is they hardly do anything. <laughs> so, um, now, uh, our branch, you might say, is confined to a single season. And our view of the world ends at the, at the length of our branch. The fruit we produce will outlive us. That fruit might be a tiny part of something that spans generations. 
something that God is bringing to fruition in his own time, in his own way. Now, if you're like me, um, sometimes we get a little paranoid about our fruit. There's a great temptation for us to try and fake it. It's a little like our Facebook page. We, uh, we want to put our best foot forward in some way, so we might enhance some things and, um, and try and fake that fruit. The problem, and, and part of my thesis today, is that we barely know what that fruit is. And when we try and fake it, we, uh, we do kinds of all sorts of silly things which end up not being fruit at all. And um, so we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more. But there is this tendency for us in the church, me included, to try and fake food and fruit in some way that others will be impressed by uh, uh, the way I uh, conduct my life and the things that happen in my life. But one thing for sure, let's go to the next slide. This is the gardener. This may not be everyone's conception of God. <laughs> but God has those shears. And the purpose of the shears is to produce more fruit. Um, the shears are also used to cut off branches which don't produce fruit. But one thing that I'm, I'm very aware of is that both the branches that don't produce fruit and those that can are both cut by the gardener. It's the same shears. And it's not for us to decide whether a branch can or should produce fruit. We are intimately dependent on the gardener's judgment. We have to trust the gardener because we don't have any other choice. Um, no matter how rotten our branch might be, we rarely ask for the shears. Um, we might even try to uh, paste on a few fake leaves um, and maybe hang on just a bit longer or maybe glue some leaves in place. But uh, the gardener knows his business and he knows how to produce fruit. And so the one thing uh, we know is that without that pruning, without that cutting, we can't produce fruit. We are dependent on the gardener knowing how to do that in our lives. The gardener is focused on the fruit. Um, so submitting to the shears is an act of faith. Avoiding the shears is an act of disobedience. Um, there's no implied threat here. Um, the branch has disconnected, branches can disconnect from the vine of their own volition. When they do that, they will wither and fall off by themselves. No pruning necessary. Those branches are of no use to the gardener. Those are the ones that are picked up and thrown into the fire. One of the things that um, is mentioned in this passage is that ask whatever you want, and the gardener will provide it. Nothing is withheld. And so I thought, cool, I've always wanted a yacht. 
like the ones the oligarchs have. Here's the problem with me wanting a yacht, is that my ability to remain in the vine once I get that yacht is probably pretty limited. It's probably a desire that the gardener, in fact, needs to prune. Um, for many of you, uh, if your 10-year-old asks you for the keys to the car, it's, um, it's unloving to hand them over. It's, it's a pretty big jeopardy for both your car and your 10-year-old. Our Father knows how to give us good gifts. He won't withhold things that we need or want, but he won't give us the keys to the car. So when you think about uh, that yacht, maybe you'll just have to wait. But nothing is held that you will need to produce fruit. The gardener is very focused on that fruit. Next slide. So what exactly is fruit? You would think we would notice it hanging from our branches. Paul tells us a great deal about fruit and fruit of the Spirit. And I, I think we kind of intuitively know that love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness is all of that fruit. But we need to think about what fruit is intended for. Fruit is, from the plant's point of view, to attract pollinators. In other words, what the fruit wants to do is spread its seed. And I think for us, the Father is interested in that fruit for exactly the same reason. The fruit is attractive. He says right here in, in John that it's the very thing that people will notice. Um, In this passage, one of the things that Jesus says is that to abide in me and remain in my love, he quickly switches from abiding to loving. And then he says something very interesting. He says that to love me like I love God is to obey my commands. In other words, uh, one of the things he, he doesn't say is just abide in me, just stay in there. He actually says that abiding me is like loving me, is like obeying my commands. And then one of the things that struck me, and this is why I think I've gotten this passage wrong for a lot of years, is that he immediately says, and this is my command. It's almost as if he knew we'd ask the question, well, what commands? There's lots of commands and because maybe we don't know exactly what command he's talking about, maybe we just can't do that. But in this particular passage, he's very, very clear, and he says, this is my command. In fact, some translations say, this is my new command that I give you, love one another. I always thought that abiding was about spending time in prayer, spending time in Bible study, to sort of be with God when I'm alone, some, really some sort of meditation on God himself. And there's nothing wrong with those things. It's something we strongly encourage here. But that's not actually what he's saying here. 
He's saying that abiding in me is loving each other. And that loving each other somehow is that fruit. Somehow I think I've gotten fruit wrong. I think that I've, I've thought that fruit was about Ken Calvert improvement. That what we needed is a better version of me and that that was what God was ultimately and in, in, intending to create. But I think that's wrong. Um, if I wait for a better version of me before I start loving other people, I will never get there. This is the version of me you guys are going to have to live with. And yes, maybe it is getting better. But that's not the point. The point is that God commands us to love each other, and what he says by that, that is fruit. In the same way, um, the world sees that as attractive, just like pollinators see fruit as attractive. Next slide. In, um, in environmental science, which I teach, there's a concept called an indicator species. An indicator species is most notable by its absence, and it's usually the most sensitive species. So often amphibians in environmental science will end up those indicator species, and when they start to die off, we know that something has gone wrong. Jesus says a, whole, a great deal about joy. He tells us this so that our joy might be complete. The absence of joy means something. I think it's an indicator in our lives. Um, joy is a spiritual fruit. It's not that we're going to continually experience joy. But as Jesus says, your sorrow will turn to joy. There's a warning about the world, and in John 15, um, um, Jesus talks a great deal about the fact that if we behave like him, we're likely to be treated like him. The truth is we live in a sad and broken world. Um, we just prayed over that experience profoundly. For many of us, we're going to experience brokenness, we're going to experience grief. So how do we find joy in this sad and broken world? So, we have a world that's what I would say hell-bent on happiness. It's kind of the mantra of, our, mantra of our time. We just want to be happy. And I've heard many believers say the same thing. God just wants us to be happy. But I think those very things that make us happy are some of the things that deprive us of joy. We pursue those things, and it's nothing wrong with happiness. It's okay to be happy, but some of the things that make us happy actually lead us away from joy and not toward it. I've known good people who have justified treasonous acts 
um, in a desire to find happiness. When uh, someone says to me, doesn't God want me to be happy, I kind of know intuitively that what's coming is a knife in the heart of someone they love in an effort to have something that breaks God's heart. So happiness is okay, but I think joy is a, is a different thing. I, I've said happiness is the shallow end of a pool of joy. One of the things that James has said in, uh, in James 1 is that we need to count these trials as joy. It's really a sense of proper accounting. There's no waiting necessary. The things that we endure, the, thing, the trials that we go through, are things that are meant. Um, that's what we call pruning. Uh, those things create steadfastness in us. Those things create, um, um, they change us in ways that are, are profound. Joy, I think, comes as a, you might say, we know it in retrospect. It really is that verse that Christ says, which, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think we can and should find joy, even in a sad and broken world, we are not of this world, and to the extent we're tied to it, I think we will let the cares and concerns of the world rob us of our joy. And that is not to say, or to trivialize the pain and the suffering that we all go through. Brittany, could you come up? So that's kind of the, the thesis of my little talk here, and that's that perhaps we have, uh, are short-sighted when it comes to fruit. Maybe fruit is much bigger than we think it is. Maybe it spans generations. It's not necessarily something that you will observe, and your fruit is not necessarily something that you even know about. Fruit is something that Jesus creates in us. One last thought is that we weren't meant to do this alone. You might say that outside of community, there isn't much purpose for fruit. So uh, the fruit is meant for community, and the Holy Spirit is the one that needs to do that work in our lives and hearts to um, create that joy in our lives and also to produce that fruit. It's a little like doing brain surgery on yourself. If you think that you can, um, you'll be wrong. <laughs> Let's just say you might not like the results. Lord God, we thank you. We just ask you that we'd go in peace. And again, I lift up those Ukrainian children, Lord. We, we grieve for them. And we just pray that you might bring them comfort, and that you might restore their joy. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Won't you stand with us as we enter back into worship?
sing, I'll make room. And I will make room for you. To do whatever you want to. To do whatever you want to. And I will make room for you. thinking about that line this whole week of just happiness is the shallow end of the pool of joy. That is so good. <laughs> it's so good. But church, um, it is a place of joy to be gathered here with you. I am I'm just particularly celebrating this morning of, of the gift it is from Jesus to be a multi-generational community, to be uh, gathered here together and see just the, the broad range, diverse uh, people that, that God is, is bringing together here. We get to also, even in this moment, um, part of that is, is to pray for our kiddos. Um, there's going to be a group of nine kids that are going to be heading off to, to camp. Um, if you're a parent in the house that is sending a kid to camp, would you just raise your hand and you kind of like stand in proxy for your kid as we pray uh, for them right now? Um, so Jesus, as we have these parents that have just uh, raised their hand and their kids are, are heading off to camp, Lord, we just pray your blessing upon this week ahead. May it be a place of joy uh, for these kids to, to be able to laugh together, um, to even just cry with one another, to, to be around one another, to play together, um, but also just to be able to sit and, and to talk about you. 
with one another. May this week be so formative in their lives where you would continue to ignite and stoke within them a passion for you. Lord, may, may this week, again, just be filled with just such great joy. Lord, and I pray that for all of us here in this space. May this week be marked by joy. And so we pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, again, it's so great to be gathered here uh, with you. We get some time to spend time with one another downstairs in the courtyard. Um, but before you go, I'd love to just pray this over you. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness. May he protect you through the storm. And may he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. We love you, church. We'll see you downstairs in that courtyard together.